Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and this is Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. We continue our series today, Empowered Living, Volume 3, God's Glorious Resources for Living, with a message entitled Sexual Purity. So turn your Bibles to Ephesians 5, 1-7, as we join Dr. Newfeld now. God has a lot to say about sex. Not all of it is good. Some's good and some's bad. Sex is like fire. All of us have fire in our homes. It's found in our furnace or our fireplace or our gas stoves if you have one. Fire is good and brings many good things into our lives, but if the fire is found on the floor of the living room, it's gonna burn the entire house to the ground and leave you homeless and bring death. Sex is like that. It's a gift from God when it's celebrated in purity. When it's celebrated in purity, it's an expression of love and fidelity between a husband and a wife. It's the means whereby God blesses their lives with children. But when sex becomes impure, it literally tears human lives apart. It brings sadness and lifelong psychological scars. It erects walls of hatred between people, and it brings shame into people's lives. It causes illness, poverty, death. Sex, like fire, can both heal and injure. God knows all of that. God created sex. But like every one of the Father's good gifts, this one has been corrupted by human sinfulness. You know, in our day, I'm fully aware that the passage we're about to study can be viewed as intolerance at best and hate at worst. And that's because to insist that sexual activity is to have no other place of expression outside of heterosexual marriage is seen by some as condemning. But we should keep something in mind before we begin. The passage before us is not a passage directed at the wider culture, but rather the people of God. And before I read our text, let's listen to what Paul said to the Christians in the city of Corinth. 1 Corinthians 5, 9 to 11, he writes, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. But now I'm writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he's guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. Of course, God will judge every person in the final day for all of their misconduct and of all the misuse of the gifts that he has given them. But it is not to say, says Paul, that the duty of Christians is to go around and correct the world. What we're called upon to do is to live or to walk as the people of God. Our lifestyle as believers is not to copy the culture, but rather, as Paul has already insisted, that we be imitators of God. And so, in introduction to this section of Ephesians, starting with chapter 5, Paul has made clear that when we boil it all down, the Christian lifestyle comes down to two basic fundamental commands. Imitate God and not the culture. And second, live a life of love. And by love, Paul doesn't define it the way our culture does, but rather the way Jesus did. Now, having given the broad parameters of the Christian walk or the Christian lifestyle, Paul now is ready to work at its particulars. And that's where we come to in our passage. And I'm reading Ephesians 5, verses 3 to 7. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. 
Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure, or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore do not become partners with them. So, very good. That's our text. And as I've said, it follows from what has been said earlier. Imitate God the Father in holiness and imitate God the Son in his life of sacrificial love. Now, from that, we might make the point that human immorality is a perversion of what God has created. So we go back to the beginning, verse 3. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. So notice three things that must not be named or even hinted at among believers. First, sexual immorality. Second, impurity. And last, covetousness. So let's start with sexual immorality. That's one word in the Greek language. It's the word porneia. We get our English word pornography from that word, but here it doesn't mean pornography. The word itself stands for a wide variety of activities. The rabbis in Jesus' time actually listed those activities, and by using this word, both Jesus and Paul agreed with them. So let me list for you the meanings of the word and the kinds of activities that are alien to Christian living. One, it can refer to incest. Incest is sin. Two, it can refer to visiting a prostitute. Three, it can refer to homosexuality. Any sex between members of the same sex is always sin. Four, it can refer to bestiality. Sex with an animal is abhorrent to God. Five, it can refer to adultery, that is, a married person having sex with someone who's not his or her spouse. This is explicitly forbidden in the Ten Commandments. In fact, Jesus went so far as to say that any sex within a marriage that does not meet God's requirement for marriage, that's sin. You'll find it in Matthew 19, verse 9. Number six, it can refer to fornication, that is, sex between unmarried people. It even refers to sex between engaged people. If you do any of these, you've broken covenant with God. See, Christian people who wish to imitate God are forbidden any sex outside of heterosexual marriage. Now, says Paul, don't let this kind of thing even be named among you. The NIV translates it as, there must not be a hint of this. When people think of Christians, that's the last thing they should think about. Now, Paul uses a second word. Our Bible translates it as impurity. It's a more general term than porneia. It refers to anything that's unclean or impure. It includes sexually immoral thoughts, passions, ideas, pictures, movies, or any other fantasy that takes our mind away from God's pattern. In Job 31, verse 1, he says, I made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully at a girl. In Matthew 5, 28, Jesus said, But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So let's get practical into our world. Remember, Paul says there must not be a hint of this. So let me help. Don't go to movies that show nudity or have sensuality as a theme. When you see such a show on TV, shut it off. Stop watching the program. That program is unclean. Don't touch it. 
Take any unclean magazines out of your house. Cancel subscriptions. If you find yourself tempted beyond what you can bear, simply cut off the source and the supply of it. It might mean your internet. Make your home a place of safety, safe from these passions. Now, let's look at the third word Paul uses for sexual sin, and this word is surprising. It's the word greed or covetousness. I think Paul adds this word here because covetousness stands at the heart of sexual sin. It's surprising because we might think that our sex drive is at the heart of sexual sin, but Paul instead lists greed. This is so because greed is the fear of not getting. Greed is never satisfied. Greed has no stop sign. Greed has no morality. One commentator said that greed is the ruthless craving of the unfulfilled heart. Have you ever wondered why gambling and unclean sex often go hand in hand? It's because they both live on unbridled greed. It is the drive to continue to have, to want, and to live only for yourself. Now, Paul moves from what we do to how we speak. We go to verse 4. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which is out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. Notice that Paul began by saying that sexual sin is alien to Christian living. But now he moves on to saying that sexualized language is alien to Christian living. Well, someone might object. I mean, why is God opposed to sexualized language? Well, it was C.B. Caird who said, Where vice is regarded as amusing, the practice becomes easy. The ancient Jewish rabbi said, jesting and levity accustom a man to lewdness. And when we speak, we proclaim what forms our thought systems. It turns out that God deeply cares about what we say. And from this passage, we learn that obscenity is a sin and that it is unacceptable to the Christian lifestyle. Let me put it another way. It is a sin to swear. Some people are simply given to dirty speech. They use words that are filthy. Christians don't use four-letter swear words. We don't use any at all. This month, we're encouraging you to request Dr. John's series, The Time of Your Life, as our free gift to you. As you listen and examine what the Bible has to say about how we use the time we're given, you'll be equipped and encouraged to make your days matter for eternity. Studying the Bible makes a difference. One listener wrote, My prayer for Back to the Bible Canada, God willing and God permitting, is to concentrate all efforts to affirm believers and to speak to the young generation. The times we are living in demand it. As always, we're so grateful for your gifts that enable trustworthy Bible teaching to be shared day after day in your community across Canada and around the world. You sustain this ministry. To request the time of your life or make a gift to support Bible teaching, call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca. Christians are not given to obscenity, and we also don't say things like, OMG, well, you know what that refers to. Why? Because the third command tells us, you shall not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. You know, a long time ago, when I was a university student, I got a job working for a milk plant. 
My job was to drive a truck delivering milk to grocery stores, restaurants, and convenience stores. And I would spend a week with the driver. I'd learn his route. He'd go on vacation for several weeks, and I would take his route over. Now, I was always amazed at how foul these truckers' language was. You know, it seemed they couldn't even utter a single sentence without using obscenity. They didn't use obscenity only when they were angry. They used it in everyday language. And what I mean is that a trucker would, you know, be explaining his route to me, and then he would say, this is my fifth stop. And then he'd say, this is my fifth, you know, blankety-blank stop. I never understood that. One day, I crawled into the truck of a certain man, a Mr. Wall. You know, I'd be driving with him for a week, and we started out, and he was explaining his route, and I was taking notes in my little book that I carried along. And after about an hour, I suddenly became aware of the fact that we're having an unusually good time. Not one foul word had been expressed. You know, at the next stop, he said, I've got something to ask you. And I said, sure. He said, are you a believer? And I said, I was. And he put out his hand and he said, put it here, brother. I'm a Christian too. Well, I was surprised. How did he know? And he simply said, your speech gave you away. I think it's sad that there are believers who use profanity. I know of a pastor who is known as the cursing pastor. Well, maybe you curse. And when you get together with your colleagues at work, your language just sounds different than it does at church. So hear me. You can change. You can ask the Holy Spirit to take the profanity out of your mouth. Dirty speech, obscenity, that's sin. It's a mark of a Christian never to use it. Furthermore, foolish talk, foolish nonsense is a sin. The Greek word is morologia. It might be translated as moron's talk. The speech of fools. It refers to speaking of things that are indecent. I think I don't need to be specific, but I can say first, suggestive jokes are a sin. I often have people ask, what should I do when someone tells me a dirty joke? Should I laugh? And my response is, say nothing. And if it's at all possible, just walk away. Don't make a comment. Get out of that conversation. Don't be a part of it. But someone might say, what if that offends the person? Well, my response is, whom do you want to offend, God or that person? See, the Bible says the fear of man is idolatry. You can't love God and fear men. You're going to have to stand for something. You're going to have to make it known that you're not a good person to tell dirty jokes to. In your presence, they just fall flat. And now, let me get personal. I know that some of you, when you get together, even with Christians, you have language that's laced with sexual connotations. See, I've heard people say, well, we're all Christians here, and then they tell a sexualized joke as if it's okay if we're all Christians here. So listen up. Sexualized language is alien to Christian living. We can laugh without laughing in such a way that offends God. Some of you need to clean yourself up. You know, someone will say, but I've gotten so used to, you know, a habit of telling, you know, sexualized jokes or using profane language, I can't seem to stop especially when something happens that makes me angry. You know, people at work know me as a person who speaks that way. Listen, our text has an antidote to that kind of behavior. Listen up, here's the antidote. The antidote is a life of gratitude to God. That's the latter part of verse 4. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. So why is thanksgiving or an attitude of thanksgiving the antidote? You see, sexual impurity and greed expresses self-centeredness. These things express the need to have something or somebody that's forbidden. But thanksgiving is a recognition that in Christ, we have more than we need. 
you remember how the book of Ephesians began? It began by saying, blessed be God the Father who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. In other words, language laced with a practice of expressing gratefulness to God. That's the opposite of crude talk. Thanksgiving also represents a Christian attitude towards sex. It views it with gratefulness as a gift given from God, not as a commodity to be exploited. If you make up your mind to fill every conversation you have with some note of gratitude to God for what he has given you, you'll find your entire attitude and your speech radically changed. I think it's time to change the way in which the world views Christian behavior. Let me give you some counsel as your Bible teacher. Number one, men, when you see a woman wearing provocative clothing, look away. Two, women, don't wear provocative clothing. Number three, if you're married, Show off your wedding ring. Make sure everyone knows that you're a Christian, that you're faithful to your spouse. Number four, if you're unmarried, don't flirt. Entertain genuine relationships, but don't sexualize them. Sexualized relationships, those are intended for marriage alone. Number five, let's talk about pornography. Some have called what's happening now as the golden age of pornography, more readily available than ever before. Given that temptation is real, how are you to survive in such an environment? Let me offer some practical advice. First of all, Jesus said that if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. If you're viewing porn on the internet, you have several options. One of them is to simply get off the net. The other option is to get a system that blocks all that out. Simply cut off the source. I need to speak to those of you who work with people of the opposite sex. Don't talk about sex with them. Don't trade in off-color humor. Don't go out to lunches with just you and them. Keep your conversation around business alone. Don't compliment them on their looks. Make sure you mention your Christian commitment and also your fidelity and love of your spouse. You can do all of that and you can fill your heart with what's good. Above all, remember, God takes this very seriously. Look again at verses 5 and 6. For you may be sure of this that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure, or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ in God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Now, the passage really says one thing. You better not miss it. Persistent sinners are excluded from God's kingdom. Matthew 5, 8, Jesus said, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Now, I want to be very careful about what I'm to say. Paul's not saying that the believer who ever falls into any of these sins is automatically excluded from God's kingdom. Rather, what he's saying is that anyone who gives himself or herself to this without repentance is excluded. Let me put it bluntly. Sexual immorality that will not repent will keep you out of the kingdom. There's a myth that's going around, and the myth says that as long as you've prayed the sinner's prayer, you're going to heaven regardless of how you live. That persistent myth is without any biblical foundation. Some of you are counting on that myth, and in contrast, hear the word of God. 1 Corinthians 6, 9, and 10. Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanders, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. How about Hebrews 13, 4, and 5? 
marriage should be honored by all, and the marriage bed kept pure, for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. God will judge. There is a final judgment in which God will judge sexual immorality. Empty words are words that are full of error. They're words that are devoid of truth. They're words that deceive us. Paul says, let no one deceive you. Sexual sin is idolatry. It results in the wrath of God. It results in an eternity of condemnation. It makes sex rather than God to be our object of worship. Sexual immorality will, if left unchecked, keep you out of heaven. It's not having an affair. It's not a slip-up. It's not an indiscretion. It's a sin against Almighty God. And if you do not repent, you will go to hell. Don't let anyone deceive you with empty words. You need to repent if this is you. You need to ask God for Holy Spirit power to turn from sin and to turn to Christ and then do it with all your heart. But there's good news, isn't there? If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just. He will forgive us of our sins. He will cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Would you do that today? Would you tell God, I confess this sin, and this day I turn from this sin, and I turn fully to Christ? Then entrust your soul to the life of Christ and do those things that bring pleasure to God. Do them through the power of the Holy Spirit and in faith to a God who loves you. May the Lord bless you this day. Thanks, John, for your message today. You know, I think it's fair to say that we live in an increasingly open and sensual culture. How do we speak to our young people who are growing up in these societal values? Yeah, and I think many of us uh, recognize, we we sense that, we feel that, because uh, it's not just that it's out there in culture, it's explicitly being taught to our children, even in grade school, and uh, they are told even then to embrace it. So it seems like there is a shorter and shorter period of time in which uh, there is a celebration of innocence in childhood. It's being taken away. So what do we do as moms and dads and uh, you know, as grandparents as well? And I think the answer has to be that we need to be more intentional in teaching our children to uh, understand what God has created in creating their body, what male and female means, and also um, that uh, when they get ready for the gift of sex as they're older, we, we explain that, that it's a gift of marriage. So let's do that. Thanks, John. That helps. And remember to join us again tomorrow as we continue our series, Empowered Living, Volume 3, right here on Back to the Bible Canada, Bible teaching you can trust. The days we have are precious, and how we use our days matter. Dr. John helps us to consider how we spend our time in ways that matter for eternity in his series, The Time of Your Life. Why is time so important? Well, it's a scarce commodity. It's uncertain how many days we have. Time can never be recovered, and our use of time can introduce either light or darkness. Paul's exhortation to the church in Ephesus is so true for us today. We should be a church longing to live as those who are wise, making the very best use of our time. 
This is a high calling, but a worthy calling. This month, request Dr. Neufeld's series, The Time of Your Life, on CD as our free gift to you. And to support Bible teaching with a financial gift, call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca.